0: You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. This series is miscellaneous episodes from Douglas's website. Today's episode is Capital Punishment. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Crime and Punishment Part 2 on capital punishment. In part one, we examine six principles relating to crime and punishment. God is a God of justice. There will be a day of judgment, which will be fair. Moral authority must speak truth to power, or no one is above the law. The law is good. Civil disobedience is occasionally justified, and the state has the right to punish infractions. After that, I shared a few thoughts on incarceration and how different imprisonment was in ancient times compared to modern times. In modern times, we seem to be torn by two conflicting philosophies, one which is quite soft on crime and one which is very hard. Overall, incarceration seems to work very poorly and leading the world, I believe, in percentage of the world's prisoners is the United States uh, by a fairly good margin. And last, we shared a positive thought, which is that prison ministry it affords a great evangelistic opportunity. Well, what about capital punishment? Have you ever seen an execution? I, I know we've all seen them in uh, movies. I certainly remember Christmas Day 1989. My wife and I had moved a few months earlier from one European country to another, and that day, the leader of uh, a former Eastern Bloc country was on trial. He and his wife, uh, well, he, he was clearly guilty. It was, still, it was a bit of a kangaroo court. And it was followed promptly by his and her execution by firing squad. Uh, it's not the only execution I've viewed on television. I think we are so used to seeing uh, whether it's uh, real or simply portrayed uh, maybe with special effects. We're so used to seeing violence that, that maybe we forget um, the severity of capital punishment. Now, we all understand that if the gospel message is true, execution has implications for salvation since the Bible nowhere clearly indicates the possibility of post-mortem repentance. I'm just saying that if, if the gospel message is true... And someone's life is ended, well, that's it. There's no future guarantee. And yet, we also know that there are many passages on capital punishment in the Bible. Let's begin with a brief examination of those. There was a death penalty for adultery, uh, for attacking one's parents, for bestiality, for blasphemy. Oh, by the way, all of these are in the notes that accompany the podcast. Uh, For... uh, Irresponsibly allowing your bull to to, uh, take someone else's life. Uh, You could say a severe kind of negligence. Uh, For contempt of court. Cursing one's parents. Having a a child, uh, a son who was so, uh, uh, so disobedient, in fact a glutton and a drunkard, that he would be taken before the elders of the town and executed if he refused to listen to them. For female promiscuity. Uh, idolatry, incest, kidnapping, being malicious witness in a capital case, for manslaughter, for arrogating to oneself uh, priestly prerogatives. Uh, in other words, trying to, uh, to act like a Levite when you weren't. Uh, for Sabbath breaking, sodomy, and sorcery. Well, that's a list I found. Maybe there are one or two more. And in nearly every case, we know from the Bible and also from Jewish practice, that these uh, cases were often commuted to, the the penalties were commuted to financial penalties. That is, in uh, nearly every case of crime in the Bible, uh, people were allowed to pay money instead of, uh, for example, have their tooth knocked out or, or go to jail or so forth. But there is an exception. And the exception is when it comes to murder. Uh, for, for, for taking the life of someone else, uh, money was not accepted. Uh, there was no way to bu- buy your way out of that, at least not legally. And that principle is actually uh, explained in Genesis 9, right after the flood. Well... What do you do with this? On the one hand, uh, I guess if you're very strong and, and pro-capital uh, punishment, you say, well, that's it. Thanks, Doug. You've, uh, you've laid it out. It's pretty clear, isn't it? And you, if you're on the other side, you may be feeling a bit mortified. But did you realize that every single one of these death penalties is stipulated only in the Old Testament? There is none in the New And one reason for that is that the Old Testament times were different to the New Testament times in that in the Old Testament, the church and the state were essentially one. Civil penalties, uh, criminal penalties were carried out by the leaders of the nation. There was no real separation between nation and church. In the New Testament times, the people of God are always imagined as a minority within um, a larger civil body. But by the way, people have tried. In the Protestant Reformation, some people tried to, to govern by the Old Testament laws, including the Old Testament capital punishment legislation. Uh, it didn't work very well. Uh, but I, I'm not going to try to argue from practicality. The question is, what's true? Not what do we prefer not what seems the easiest to carry out. But what's actually true? What does the New Testament say? Well, you, uh, you may be in for a bit of a surprise. A couple of years ago, when I was doing a study on this uh, topic of capital punishment, I certainly thought that the New Testament writers would simply continue the attitude and the philosophy of the Old Testament writers. But then there were some passages that that I I was already familiar with, that I, I guess I should have thought about more. Listen to this, Romans 12. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, here Paul says that we're not to take revenge. We're not to repay anyone evil for evil. It is sometimes objected, well, as long as it's not personal, it's okay for me to take someone's life, if I'm ordered to do so by the state, then it's not really personal. Uh, that distinction was not actually made by the early church, and perhaps another time we can, uh, we, we can do another uh, podcast on, on whether uh, taking someone's life was permitted in any circumstance. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Speaking about how we treat our enemies, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And then a little bit later on in the same chapter, Matthew 5, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect therefore, or you could translate mature, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, Jesus is saying, in the past, you've heard one thing. I'm telling you another thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes he clarifies the true intent of an Old Testament law. Other times, he seems to overthrow the law completely, to abrogate it. In either case, we are called to be different to the way people are in the world. And certainly, uh, among modern Christians, let me use the word quite broadly, When it comes to the area of loving one's enemy, there seems to be no difference uh, between them and and the average person in the world. Well, one of the most popular verses in support of capital punishment that that, uh, I I hear on the lips of Christians is Romans 13. And they'll refer to verse 4. And this is talking about a Roman magistrate or officer uh, and about the need to obey the law. Let me read Romans 13. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Well, there you have a a government agent. He bears the sword. He could use it. This is a reference, by the way, to uh, capital punishment. And it says, in fact, he's God's servant. In fact, in this chapter, Paul says that the powers that exist, exist by God. I think we need to uh, keep in mind, though, that just because a power is ordained by God doesn't mean that that power is moral. God raised up the Assyrians. Read Isaiah chapter 10. And then he raised up the Babylonians to punish the Assyrians because the Assyrians did wrong. All governments if we're going to take Romans 13 at face value, exists with the permission of God. This would include the government of North Korea. This would include governments of many places uh, that the world knows very well are unrighteous. So uh, what God permits and what, in the sense of his permissive will, and what God prefers or desires in terms of his moral will may be different things. There are many things that the Romans did and did so by the leave of God, which were not right and i I thought about this: if I were a Roman soldier, technically, I could require a local to a civilian to carry my pack for me for a mile. Jesus said, "Let him carry it, uh, two, take it two miles for him." Yes. But if I were a Christian, would I force someone to carry my pack for a mile? Uh, Roman soldiers did quite a few things, um, from extortion and to, uh, to rape to uh, killing, of course. Just because something is done by someone who works for a government doesn't necessarily make it right. And we're going to see that in a moment as we look at a couple of quotations from the early church. At any rate, Romans 13 Is talking about Roman soldiers. It's not talking about Christians. You might say, "Well, but what if Christians were in the army?" Well, that's a separate question, and and we'll we'll, we'll deal with that in a moment. The sword that the uh, the Roman bore was used for decapitation. We see this in Acts twelve, where James loses his head. Mark six, John the Baptist is executed Uh, in the Book of Revelation chapter twenty, verse four, and other places. So the sword refers to capital punishment. By the way, normally that was the way that Romans were killed, except for high treason, uh, in which case they could be crucified. Normally, Romans were simply beheaded. Crucifixion was a a punishment for slaves. Uh, Now, here's what surprised me as I went back through these scriptures and through the assistance of a friend of mine, his name is David Bersow, he's written on this, and he pointed me to a lot of literature on the subject from the early years of the church. What surprised me is that the early church unanimously opposed capital punishment. I I was surprised. I I could imagine that there would be many issues on which we would have different views. Perhaps it would be simply cultural. But their opposition to capital punishment was... Unanimous, for several hundred years. Okay, let me give you just a few um, um, illustrations. And this is from the second century. The author is Athenagoras. When they know that we cannot endure even to see a man put to death, though justly, who of them can accuse us of murder? We consider that to see a man put to death is much the same as killing him. So how can we put people to death? What this man is saying is that in answer to the charge that Christians committed murder, he said, we, we not only don't commit murder, we won't even look at it. Oh, that has some obvious implications for some things that we allow ourselves to see. I believe in our entertainment-saturated, violent-saturated uh, media society, but that's another podcast. Here's a quotation I'll share from the 3rd century, from a man named Origen. Christians could not slay their enemies, nor could they condemn those who had broken the law to be burned or stoned, as Moses commands. However, in the case of the ancient Jews, who had a land and a form of government of their own, to take from them the right of making war against their enemies, of fighting for their country, of putting to death or otherwise punishing, adulterers, murderers, or others who were guilty of similar crimes, would have been to subject them to sudden and utter destruction whenever the enemy fell upon them. What Origen is saying, this is around the year 250, is that the Jews were a commonwealth. They, They were an actual government, and if they didn't have the ability to wage war, to defend themselves, that would have been the end of them. But Christians are in a different situation. Christians don't have a land. They don't have a government. I think it's this failure to distinguish between the two covenants that's led to so much confusion and needless argument over this and other subjects. Cyprian, about the same time, writes this Christians do not attack their assailants in return, for it is not lawful for the innocent to kill even the guilty. Now, can, you, can you see uh, these words on the lips of, say, uh, um, a, uh, a right-wing um, evangelical Christian in the 21st century? Probably not. Now, how about this one? This is from the early 4th century. These are in the actual final years of, of persecution. Shortly before, the Romans stopped killing Christians and, and started actually supporting them. Lactantius is the author. He who reckons it a pleasure that a man, though justly condemned, should be slain in his sight, pollutes his conscience as much as if he should become a spectator and a sharer of a murder that is secretly committed. They call these sports in which human blood is shed. And here he's he's condemning the games. When I say the games, I don't mean all games and sports. We're talking about the blood sports. We're talking about the gladiators. Uh, the gladiatorial sports where, where people die. And just one more, and this is from the same author. Again, this is around the, year, uh, around the year 310. When God forbids us to kill, he not only prohibits us from the open violence that is not even allowed by the public laws, but he also warns us against doing those things that are esteemed lawful among men. Thus, it will not be lawful for a just man to engage in warfare, since his warfare is injustice itself, nor is it lawful for him to accuse anyone of a capital crime. For it makes no difference whether you put a man to death by word or by the sword. For it is the act of putting to death itself that is prohibited. Therefore, with regard to the commandment of God, there should be no exception at all. Rather, it is always unlawful to put a man to death whom God willed to be a sacred creature. This early Christian writer is saying that life itself is holy and it's simply wrong to put a man to death. And you might say, but but it was commanded under the Old Testament. Exactly, that's under the Old Testament. But we're under the New Testament here. And so he's saying here that, of course, it's wrong to disobey the law the law uh, prohibits murder. But the, the early Christians seem to have gone even farther than that. Uh, they were reluctant even to bring capital charges. That is, to turn someone in, the penalty for whose crime would be execution was something that they avoided. And, and notice how he put it. It makes no difference whether you put a man to death by sword or by the word. By word or by the sword, for it's the act of putting to death itself that's prohibited. Well, this is uh, this is so different to certainly what I had been taught, what I had been brought up believing, what I believed as a Christian, and and for years the way I interpreted the Bible, probably for the first twenty five or thirty years of, of, of being a Bible student. Now, you may say, "Oh, this is uh, this is weak minded pacifism." Well, hang on a second, pacifism means making peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. The goal is peace. Some people will make fun of the pacifist and say, he's just a, a freeloader. He's, he's happy to have the benefits. He's not willing to make any personal sacrifice. I think they may be confusing pacifism with quietism. Quietism is when well, really, there's no involvement at all. People just keep to themselves. Pacifism can actually be quite an active enterprise. Uh, think of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Think of uh, Mahatma Gandhi. These are pacifists who were also quite, uh, quite involved in the process. So pacifism doesn't mean uh, an unwillingness to be involved or to stand up for others. Uh, quietism is probably the word that many people should be using when they're criticizing pacifists. Well, what's the point of of this extended reading of these quotations? And this is only a sampling. It's to show that the early church stood opposed to capital punishment. So what happened? Well, we know what happened. In the fourth century, when the church and state made their famous alliance, and now the church relied upon the power of the state to protect its assets— now the persecutor became the persecuted, and the church itself began persecuting pagans and Jews and, and other Christians who had different doctrinal beliefs than they did. The early church itself uh, became so uh, lost and so shrouded in, in the new uh, glory of, of, of the church state that by the Middle Ages... Uh, torture was, was employed by the church. Church leaders approved of that. The popes carried sidearms. The popes themselves had their own personal armies. Now, you may... I know there are a lot of questions that will be coming up right now. Is it, is it uh, wrong to defend yourself? Uh, you know, the Old Testament certainly seems to distinguish between um, uh, Exodus chapter 22, uh, whether a, a burglar is killed in, in daylight or in, uh, in the dark of night. Uh, is violence ever justified Uh, we're not going to go into all of that right now it would be too long a lesson but in the New Testament there appear to be no no exceptions let me say this again in the Old Testament the Jews were not allowed to practice violence in an unlimited way there were very specific rules Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 20 is another chapter that comes to mind but in the New Testament it seems to be that there are no exceptions they're not allowed to be violent at all so failure to distinguish between the Testaments is really the heart of this interpretive crux. And certainly there are, um, there are many passages in both Testaments that, that do remind us of our need to be peacemakers. I mentioned already Matthew 5, Micah 6. How about that? He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. James chapter 2, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is not being merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want to pursue this subject of capital punishment more, I might invite you to, to watch the DVD series called Early Church History. Uh, David Brusseau is our, our keynote speaker. In fact, he does three of the lessons. It's about seven hours. You can order it through the main website and maybe just as valuable as the lessons you'd watch are some 60 pages of notes quotations and you'll see how on so many positions from modest dress to uh, capital punishment and many things in between the early church stood in a very different place than we do well let's wrap it up here in terms of crime and punishment justice should be done on earth it should be seen in this lifetime, though often it isn't. Regardless, ultimately justice will be served. Numbers 32, 1 Timothy 5, Revelation 14. The Bible assures us over and over, God is not soft on sin. The Bible urges us to follow the laws of the land. Christians should be law-abiding citizens, except where these laws violate divine law. The early church believed strongly in justice. In fact, they were not unwilling to die for their faith. So it wasn't that they were just running away from uh, things that scared them. They, 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 were, they, they were willing to uh, invo- be involved in the issues and, and speak up. Strongly believed in justice, and yet they were adamantly opposed to the death penalty. Are you surprised? I was but then knowing that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, perhaps perhaps I should not have been. So it wasn't that they refused to suffer, suffer death. Think of Paul, Acts 25, 11. He says, if I've done something wrong, I don't refuse to die. So he didn't reject the state's right to make its own laws. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about what states have the right to do. We're talking about what individual Christians um, do and think. And the early Christians would have no part in killing. And that certainly opens up another window that we will not be able to close at this time. But let me just leave you with a question. Am I living and thinking more by an Old Testament morality or a New Testament morality? I hope these thoughts on capital punishment have been stimulating and somehow productive. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' teaching. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.